the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a series of messages called Proverbs, A Beautiful Life, on the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that is full of wisdom, poetry, beauty, and instructs us on what the beautiful life is and how we can live it. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6? I'm going to be reading, starting at verse 1, I'm going to be reading through verse 19 of this section of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 6 is a, uh, it's a series of practical warnings and wisdom. Again, the book of Proverbs is um, a book where Solomon is speaking to his son, giving to him all manner of words of wisdom, inviting him to choose wisdom rather than folly. And that pattern continues in this section of Proverbs as he gives to his son just a series of practical tips for how it is that he's supposed to live. So Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor... If you've given your pledge for a stranger, if you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you've come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person. A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. 
I've titled this sermon, Co-Signing for a Stranger. There are times where you can hear sections of the Bible worked out in present day in real time. A few years ago, American personal finance personality and anti-debt crusader Dave Ramsey was answering user-submitted questions on his radio show. I'm going to read you an excerpt from his radio show as he answers one of the questions that had been sent in. I'm also going to use one word that's different. Dave Ramsey's characterized by a direct sort of southern way of speaking, and he uses one word we're not allowed to use in my home, so I've switched it to foolish, but you can probably guess what it is. Not a necessarily inappropriate word, just one not for children. So uh, here's the way that that interaction worked. Today's question comes from Connie in Connecticut. Dave, I messed up and co-signed a car loan for a relative. At this point, Dave makes a gagging sound. Now they aren't paying. And he says, shock. And I'm stuck. Would it be better to put it on a zero interest credit card and then pay it off? Or try to refi it for a better interest rate and pay that off? Dave then turns to his answer. It'd be better to make him sell it and put the balance on a zero interest credit card because you'll owe. But they'll need to sell it today. You'll need to go pick up the car and get in their business and tell them to sign the title. And you'll need to sell it and borrow the money to cover the difference. You've lost your money, but they've lost their car. This is why we should never co-sign. Co-signing is, and here's the, you know, co-signing is foolish. I've done it. I've had people do it for me. In every case, co-signing is foolish. You're going to get yourself in a mess. Debt is the most aggressively marketed product in the culture today, and Connie's finding it out the hard way. Believe me, these people at the bank, and we love bankers here at Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. Please don't take this as me. We, we, we have bankers in our congregation. We love them. Good people. Okay. Believe me, these people at the bank, at the finance company, they want to loan money more than you want to borrow it. And that's hard to believe. They're aggressively selling their product. Their product is debt. And if these aggressive salespeople selling their debt, if even they don't want to sell your relative debt, believe me, your relative is not credit worthy. Because usually if your relative could fog up a mirror, they could get a loan. But they're so bad off, they can't get the loan, then don't sign it for them. Because 100% of the time, you're going to have a problem. 100% of the time. Because even if they pay exactly on time, it limits your ability to do things in your life. It's called a contingent liability in accounting systems. Never co-sign. Co-signing is foolish. So says Dave Ramsey. And as foolish as it is to co-sign, in our section of scripture today, cosine is actually the best thing that you could possibly do. This chapter contains within it a descent from foolish to worse. It tells us that foolishness is indeed bad, but that laziness is worse and that sin is the worst of all. Let me just say that again, because that is what this passage is about. It tells us that, that, that foolishness is bad, but that laziness is worse, and that sin is the worst of all. We've got it in three different parts. Verses 1 through 5 tell us that foolishness is bad. In 6 through 11, we're told that laziness is worse. And then in 12 through 19, we're told that sin is the worst of all. So let's start with that first section, foolishness is bad. 
If Dave Ramsey says that co-signing alone is foolish, full stop, the scripture in this part give to us a little bit more nuance. But the teaching here in Proverbs chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 is pretty straightforward and it's more obvious. As Solomon talks with his son, he tells him not to co-sign alone for a stranger, which makes perfect sense. If you co-sign with a stranger, the Bible says that you've come into the hand of your neighbor, of the stranger. You're controlled by the stranger, and that's because of what co-signing is. One state attorney general puts it this way on the state website. When you co-sign a loan, you become legally obligated to repay the loan if the borrower doesn't pay it. Most co-signers believe when they sign the papers that the borrower will be able to repay the loan on his or her own. But even if the borrower has the best intentions to meet his or her obligations under the loan, unpredictable things can happen to derail these plans, such as a loss of employment, inability to find a job, divorce, or unexpected illness. The attorney general's office has heard from grandparents living on fixed incomes who are hounded by debt collectors because a grandchild can't find a job after graduation to pay back a student loan. From parents who co-signed a loan to help a child's boyfriend or girlfriend only to be on the hook to repay the loan after the couple split up. Or co-workers who co-signed loans for people that they no longer work with. The bottom line is this, says the Attorney General's website. Co-signing a loan is a generous act with potentially serious financial consequences. You generally should only co-sign a loan if you have the ability and willingness to pay off the loan in the event the borrower defaults. That's what co-signing is. And so Solomon says, son, just don't do that with a stranger. It's such a foolish decision to co-sign alone with a stranger that Solomon says to his son that if he's made that decision, he actually should not sleep until he's taken off that arrangement. He's saying, you've made such a gross financial misstep that you need to be singularly focused on getting out of this arrangement, son. It's that bad. It can mess you up financially to such an extent that you shouldn't sleep until you get yourself off that loan. You should use the kind of intensity that a gazelle uses who's running away from a hunter. That you should use the kind of speed of a bird who's flying out of the hand of one that's trying to hold it captive. Because when you're co-signing, you're allowing someone to use your good credit, your good name, your hard work. And once they've got the thing that they're hoping for, the house or car or apartment or student loan or whatever it might be, they can walk away with the benefit and they can leave you with the entirety of the cost. And since you're more credit worthy, the creditors will come after you, not the one driving the car or living in the apartment. And if you do that for someone you don't know, it's an act of sheer foolishness. If somebody shows up and just asks you to be on the loan, don't do it, is what Solomon's saying to his son. But... Co-signing alone with a stranger is an act that, should you fall into it, isn't as serious as laziness. Though you should be very serious about this, and Solomon says you should have this kind of gazelle-like intensity to get out of that sort of arrangement, it actually is not as serious as laziness is. And that's the next part. Solomon begins chapter 6 with the tenderest of language in verse 1. And as we're making our way through the book of Proverbs, you might be beginning to become familiar with this sort of language. He says two words at the very beginning of our passage. My son. Since he's training up his own child, he begins each new instruction with the same gentle and loving and strong two words. My 
son. And if your Bible is open, you can see that chapter 7 starts with that phrase. Chapter 6 has started with that phrase. Chapter 5 starts with that phrase. Chapter 4, verse 10 has that phrase. Chapter 3 starts with that phrase. Chapter 2 does. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 10 and 15 all have that two-word phrase, my son. But as we get to this second section of Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon addresses somebody else, a sluggard, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. There's not the same tenderness here. As Solomon addresses this second individual, there's none of the characteristic tenderness of the relationship that he has with his son. It's not my son anymore. It's now O sluggard, still spoken with direct address, but this section lacks all of the warmth of the first, indicating that the words here are even more serious than signing, co-signing with a stranger. Because while co-signing with a stranger can leave you on the hook for another person's action, there's a chance they might actually be responsible enough to pay the debt and you can escape unscathed. Poverty, however, is more often guaranteed by laziness. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukemai. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Proverbs, A Beautiful Life. On the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible that is full of wisdom, poetry, beauty, and instructs us on what the beautiful life is and how we can live it. And so in the second section, Solomon addresses the sluggard. That's our second part. Laziness is worse. So as, you, as we sort of move into the second section, and verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. You might wonder, well, what does that even mean? It's not a word that we're particularly familiar with today. I've never been to a baseball game and heard somebody yell, That sluggard can't make it to first base. I've heard a lot of insults at baseball games. Sluggard has never been one of them. It's not a frequently used word. So you might wonder, what is a sluggard? Well, it is a lazy person. Proverbs describes a sluggard in Proverbs chapter 26, verses 14 and 15 and 16. Here's the way that Proverbs describes such a person. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So the sluggard is a person who is so arrogantly committed to his or her own way or pleasure that they won't listen to sense, they won't hear wisdom, they can't keep a job, and they won't even get out of bed. And sometimes they find that even eating is too much for them. As my favorite comedian puts it in one of his bits, he says, I'm staying in the hotel across the way. I ordered room service last night. What a delight. You call, and ten minutes later, the politest gentleman knocks at the door. May I come in? Ha! May you come in. I summoned you. And they come in, and they say, where should I put this? And I always give the same response. Put it at the desk, where I write my letters, where I do my correspondence. I lie every time. 
I never say what I really want to say, which is, all right, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to jump back into the bed and pull the covers up to my chin. You're going to delicately place the tray on my tummy. And if you feed the food to me, you can write in your own tip. It's a great little bit, but it gets at exactly what the sluggard is like. I want to stay in bed, food on my tummy, somebody else feeding it to me. I'm too lazy to do anything else. The sluggard is foolish and willfully lazy. Now let me help us to sort of understand and get clarity. This isn't those who work hard and when the alarm goes off in the morning, they despise its harsh tone knowing that getting up is going to take every ounce of willpower in your body to extricate yourself from the bed. If you feel that it is a struggle to get up in the morning as you're getting up, you're not a sluggard. This isn't the person who has so exhausted themselves through good hard work that they collapse into bed at the end of the day and immediately fall asleep. This isn't even the person that finds that they set the alarm with intentions to get a good workout in in the morning, but finds upon the alarm going off the next morning that they can't quite accomplish it. They still get to work in time, but they maybe didn't get in that spin, psych, that spin class they were hoping to go to before they got to work. This section of scripture isn't ignoring the extremely gracious command of God that gives to us one day in every seven to rest from all of our work. This is talking to those who ignore the six days you shall labor and do all your work portion of the Sabbath command. And the reason that laziness is more serious than co-signing for a stranger is it is so much more likely to guarantee poverty. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man, is what Proverbs says. And so what's the solution? Well, is it, it isn't to check out a new life hack. It isn't to see if there are new productivity TikToks that you can scroll through. It isn't to rely on the newest TED Talk on YouTube. It's not even to read the next book or go to college. It's to take a look at the world as God has designed it to be. Notice that a humble ant doesn't have the brains or benefits that God has given to you. But recognize that it does its work with an intensity and a persistence that should cause you and me to take note. No matter how well you build and seal your house, there will come a time where you wake up and find that there is a trail of ants that have made their way to some breadcrumbs that somehow still remain on the floor in the morning. And as you deal with the problem of this early ant infestation and reseal your home, it's going to be just a couple more years when you wake up and see that the ants have returned. One after another after another, doing their work, gathering food, not in haste, so constant and consistent that they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Take note. And of course, college or books or life hacks might help you to recognize all of that. Maybe you have to go see a doctor to see what might be missing in your diet or medication. All of that can be good to help us do work. But there's a sense that God has worked into the world that he has made that you and I should be able to take note of. And so what Solomon says is just pay attention to the ant and notice how consistent it does its work and try to do the same. But even laziness isn't actually the most serious part of this portion of scripture. Sin is. 
And as Solomon continues on and speaks of the last person in this section of scripture, he doesn't use the language of sonship. And actually, he doesn't even use direct address anymore. He simply talks about this last person, signaling that what he's saying here at the end is the most grave, the most serious. And that's what takes us to our final point, that sin is the worst. Worse than a foolish son, worse than a lazy sluggard, is a wicked man. And verse 12 introduces us to this last portion of scripture. Solomon says, a worthless person, a wicked man. First, he starts with the tender address of a father talking to his son. Second, he moves to the straightforward direct address, calling out a sluggard. And last, he doesn't even talk to the person anymore. He talks about them, a wicked person, a wicked man, a worthless person. All of this speaks to us that we harm ourselves when we sin. That when we give ourselves over to sin, we harm our body and our soul. And he uses the sharpest language here in verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man. None of this is to deny the inherent goodness with which all of us are created. We're made in the image of God, after all. A higher gift, I can't think of that. To be made in the image of the one who made the whole universe is amazing and astounding. It characterizes every single human person, and it's why everybody is worthy of dignity and respect. It means that's why we don't exploit or harm, because that's an image bearer. This isn't saying that those who are wicked don't bear the image of God. It's to use language that's actually picked up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. That those who give themselves to sin over and over and over again harm themselves to the point where, again, to quote Paul in Romans 3, we make ourselves worthless. Not in our image-bearing capacity, but certainly in our behaviors. If you're given over to sin, you'll find that nothing that you do is really productive because you become an ever more effective sin-producing machine. You find that your deeds and your actions are of less and less and less value because they're increasingly, increasingly, increasingly sinful. The Bible doesn't mince words as it talks about this sort of person. It describes the kind of guy that is perhaps a gladhander, winking with his eyes, signaling with his feet, pointing with his finger, but with a preferred heart, devising evil, sowing discord. Those are worthless actions that don't lead to thriving or goodness or fruitfulness. And the Bible doesn't step away from calling it what it is, worthlessness. It's an important shock to our system as we recognize how nothing fruitful will be accomplished by our wickedness or evil. It's only when we give ourselves to God that we can become fruitful and and effective in what we're doing. Only then. The Bible takes really seriously sin, and not just in the portions where the law is given to us, but here in this section of wisdom, it reminds us that God detests sin. Verse 16 says that there are six things that the Lord hates, and seven that are an abomination to him. It tells us that the Lord hates these things. 
I don't know about you, but I'm grateful whenever the Bible uses this kind of straightforward language. Our temptation, I think, can sometimes be to state things in a way that are overly harsh or in a way that so nuances and couches things that we're not really saying anything at all. The Bible cuts through all of that nonsense and gives to us truth, unadorned, plainly spoken, but not like a jerk. Solomon here is not being a jerk. He is just telling us the way that it is. And hopefully it shakes us awake to recognize that God cannot and will not abide sin. You might wonder, what is the Bible doing here when it says there are six things that the Lord hates and seven that there are an abomination to him? This is kind of a a Hebrew poetic idiom that is used throughout the book of Psalms and in different places in Proverbs. It's a way of giving to you a list and calling your attention to the last thing that you find in the list. It's saying all of these things are bad, but what sort of like caps it is the last thing that you'll encounter. That's the most dangerous. And so here are the seven things. Haughty eyes, so that would be pride. A lying tongue, that would be committing false testimony. Hands that shed innocent blood, that would be murder. A heart that devises wicked plans, that would be the sort of internal evil that can characterize us when we go our own way instead of God's. Feet that make haste to run to evil. That's us when we're more excited to go to that which is wicked than go to that which is righteous. A false witness who breathes out lies. So again, false testimony is brought in here. But what's the way that the whole thing is capped? You see, where the Holy Spirit is, there is a God-built unity that begins to grow in that place. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.